Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Accrue. This is a place where Jill and I talk about how we are growing as individuals and how we're building a firm in a way that is healthy and sustainable. There's always more to learn, and we want to share what we have learned and what we're still learning. And today, we are going to talk about how to be an approachable expert no matter what your role is. And it's something we've talked a lot about with our team, and I think it's going to be really helpful to share a little bit more broadly. So before we really dive into how to do this thing, I think talking about what we mean by approachable expert is probably (laughs) pretty helpful. So Jill, in your mind, what do we mean when we say approachable and expert? Yeah, I think the approachable piece is a little bit more nuanced than the expert piece, but I think both are slightly more nuanced than you would assume. So in terms of approachable, I see approachable very much as someone that you want to ask a question. So if or or ask a request or or you know talk to, maybe interact with at all is the most like broad umbrella. Like approachable is is someone that you actually want to interact with. And I think that the opposite of that is uh, when clients feel like they dread asking their accountant something or, you know, a team member hates to ask their boss a question or make a request. Like that's a real good indicator that you're not approachable. How do you define approachable, Anna? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great definition, someone that you would actually want to interact with. And so then it's all the behaviors that you do that make that the case. So, mm. you know, when someone talks to you, do you seem like you want to talk to them? You know, <laughs> do you make people feel stupid? Like do you do you, you know, neg them or or make them regret ever talking to you? Mm-hmm. Or do you make them feel like they're welcome to talk to you? Like you are, you're happy to have that conversation with them. You know, you like, I mean, it, it's like, would I want to approach you or are mm-hmm. you off-putting? I mm-hmm. think that's really kind of what it comes down to. And there's a lot of different ways to make yourself more approachable. But I think just starting with the idea that it might be a high value to be approachable, especially mm-hmm. in accounting, really in all industries, but I think especially in accounting because that's not necessarily how we typically position ourselves as being like, mm-hmm. yes, please come talk to me. I will be delightful. <laughs> or I have, totally have time to help you or answer your question. <laughs> yeah, typically how we respond to clients. We're always so yeah. rushed and always so like, I don't know, on Just to the get her done. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the fastest route to finish that and mark that completed is. Yeah. So I think, I think even having time and space for people is a huge part of being approachable, which is harder than it sounds. For expert, I see expert as someone who knows exactly what they know and knows a good amount in their chosen field, but also knows exactly what they don't know. I think that is a very important and overlooked piece of it. But for me, I think knowing exactly what you know and what you don't know is one of the best ways to be an expert. Yes. And I think we've all met someone who you, who's just saying words Mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't believe you. I don't think you actually know what you're talking about. So definitely not that. But then also we don't want someone who's like, I have no idea. You know, like, no one mean. (laughs) 
oh my gosh, every time, and, and it makes me feel like a terrible person, but every time we have someone apply and they say like reconciliation, I'm like, oh no, no, it's you. It's a thing we do every month. You have to know how to say that word for me to believe that you know how to do that thing. <laughs> like it's just, it's, I can't, I'm sorry. That's, I'm sorry for that. It, that's not a hiring decision, just in case anyone is. Uh, <laughs> what did my face look like that, that made you think that I wanted <laughs> you to say that, Anna? <laughs> uh, nothing. Uh, did I look everyone worried? <laughs> is getting a fair and equal evaluation from HR, which I am not. Yeah. So, but yeah, but pronouncing the word correctly for a thing that we do every single month with hundreds of clients is kind of an important detail to get right to indicate and flag to someone that you are an expert. If you pronounce yes. words that you do. All all the time incorrectly. It is an indicator. It's not a, a all or nothing thing, but it's sure. an indicator that maybe you don't know something that maybe you should know. And that yes. is worrying when hiring someone <laughs> to do reconciliations. <laughs> yes. So so knowing how to say the words that are associated <laughs> with your industry would be helpful. The internet will pronounce things for you. I have so had well it do too. that for me. Like, I don't know how to say this word. Show me, you know. <laughs> but I think also an expert, I, I think it, you're exactly right. You know what you know. You know what you don't know. Someone who has deep knowledge in a particular field and that will only say things with confidence that they know with confidence yes. and will not say things they don't know with confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there's that, that expert piece of not wanting to come across as being different than you are. So like there's, there's an mm. authenticity to really being an expert because it means you're not BSing people trying to look smarter than you are. Like if you're truly an expert, you do have that deep knowledge. You do have the reps in and also you're not going to be posing as though you are further or know more or can do more than you actually can. So there's yes. kind of that balance between competency and humility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. It's really hard for me to trust someone who uses predominantly jargon. And when I ask a question, especially a simple question, or ask for a definition of terms, they can't do it. it yes. They can't explain it to me in a way that I understand, then you don't understand it. That That is real. And I think that that is such a good indicator to me of someone who actually can't do the job when I'm hiring, especially if you can really only use the buzzwords, only really use the jargon, like that's a pretty good indicator that maybe you don't know how to do the thing or how it interacts within the accounting system. So I'm only going to have follow-up questions for you at that point. Yeah. Right. Well, and same in other professions as well. I think in, in vendors we've worked with or in, in like advisors, like, you know, if you're advising on a particular topic and all you can do is use those industry jargon or the acronyms. Like I remember meeting with a financial advisor and he used so many acronyms. I think after like the 17th time that I was like, what does that mean? Because I was genuinely trying to be interested and, and not going to pretend like I, I'm not going to 
just smile and nod when you use a phrase that I don't understand and pretend like I do understand it so that you think I'm so smart. Um, I'd rather just say like, oh, I'm not familiar with that. Like, what does that mean? Because then I could actually learn something. Mm -hmm. But after the 15th, 17th, 20th time you drop these jargon, like I'm just going to stop asking because you are clearly, and that's the thing about this, when you do those, you're clearly jockeying to be the smartest person in the room and like you win. You win. You win. Yeah. I'm happy to give you that title because I wasn't going for that race. Like I'm not in that race. You can totally win that title. It's all yours, man. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I think part of being an expert, and I think this also connects to being approachable, is being able to explain complicated things in a very simple way because you deeply understand them. You can use analogies. You can use different ways of expressing the same thing because you don't just, you haven't just memorized what the textbook says this thing is. Yes. You deeply understand it such that you could explain it to someone who's never done that thing or interacted with that. I think that is really what an expert is to me is like, can you teach me how to do the thing because you understand it so well? I think a really good example of this is a CPA. In, you know, when you become a CPA, you have to take all five of those tests. I think there are five. I think there's four, but I, four I'm a maybe. CPA, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> please correct us. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Correct us all day. We're not CPAs. But I, there's these series of exams and you have to know everything in audit and you have to know everything in tax. You have to you have to know all of the things, but you're probably picking one that you enjoy and going that direction for most of the rest of your career. It, it's possible to change your mind, but most tax professionals are too risk averse to do that halfway through their career. So really like you know a lot at the beginning, but you've really just memorized a lot. You don't understand a lot. You know a lot of, of a language. You know a lot of the accounting language and you know a lot of the tax law and you can memorize a ton of information and not really understand it fully. When you get into a firm and you start working in your specific field, you start understanding how these dots connect within the accounting system and it makes the like cerebral learning that you had in school makes sense in a real world application. And that is what looking like an expert or being an expert looks like. It is about really understanding deeply how things are affected by a change, how things need to look, when to identify a problem. Like those are really, they take time and they take experience. And so I think being an expert means you have to have done something you have to have done the job to become an expert and you have to have learned and made mistakes to be an expert too. Yes. Well, and I think part of that that you hit on is you're not just able to say what, you're able to say why, like why this matters, why we do it this way versus that way, because here are the way that the things interconnect or here's the impact that that has. And so this is, you know, my recommendation. I think that's, that's another thing about being an expert is that you get to a point where you feel confident making recommendations. And yeah. I have talked to so many lawyers and I get it. They're all lawyers. So they're all you know, imagining that it's just a lawsuit waiting to happen. But I'm just like, can you just tell me what you think? Like, can mm -hmm. you just give me like, any say, amount of input that has any like, bent one way or another? Anything? 
Yeah. <laughs> it's very much like, well, there's risk here and here and here. And it's like, okay, I get it. There's risk everywhere. Could you just tell me what like you would recommend as like a reasonable course of action? Whoa, I can't be given all kinds of recommendations. <laughs> like, then this is information I probably could have Googled and not actually a helpful advisor. So I do think part of, of that expert is like, we can, we can actually give, you know, guidance and maybe it's not, here's what you do, but maybe it's like, Hey, mm -hmm. you could do this or this or this, and here's the impact of each of them. Here's kind yes. of the benefit and the, and the cost here are the trade-offs. So like, what do you think of these options? Which means you've mapped out what options are possible and you've thought mm -hmm. about how things interconnect and what the benefit or cost might be. So you're already so far ahead of just, here's all your risk. Well, I think it'd be helpful for us to start talking about like how, like if you're, you know, a solopreneur or if you're running your own firm, you're probably fairly comfortable in that expert seat. Most of us who've started firms, or at least most of the people that I know who have started firms because they were a technician and they wanted to kind of do their own thing or have the freedom or flexibility or, or whatever to you know, do their own kind of firm, but they started as that expert technician. So you've probably got that part down, but how, how, how did we even get there in the first place? And, and I know for me, it was, I, I did, you know, a course that taught me how to do accounting. And so I understood all the accounting terms and all the jargon, but I didn't really know what to do <laughs> at the end. I was like, cool, 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 cool. Uh, now what? Uh, and so I did go work for another CPA firm and I learned all of the, the doing parts of it. I took the ideas that I had been taught and actually started implementing them and learning from someone like, well, when you do it this way, here's the impact. That's why we don't do it that way. We do it this way because that's actually the outcome we want to have happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it went from ideas to execution, a lot of which was doing it poorly and then getting feedback and then doing it better. And, but a lot of it was through doing and making mistakes and learning from them that I became more of an expert technician. And I think that's where a lot of us sit, but there isn't really, unless you happen to just be a very people person, there isn't really a doing that equips you in that approachable side. I think mm -hmm. there's most of accounting is so focused on doing the technical work that we're not really equipping people in how to be approachable. So mm -hmm. Jill, how did you learn how to be a person? <laughs> Through years of practice and doing it very poorly for a very long time. <laughs> I, you know, the the first thing that came into my head when you asked that question was actually something that made me really uncomfortable at a previous job that I had. I, I had a support role and I was supporting customers and I'm a pretty formal writer. That's like my bend. I tend, I tend to speak and write pretty formally. And so when I was in this customer support role, it was a really young and a fresh company. It was, they were in technology. And I remember getting feedback about the warmth of the emails and like how many exclamation points you put in and actually using emojis 
in a work email and I, it just like exploded my brain. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. I'm sorry. It's too uncomfortable. And then I got over that and learned how to do it. But I think that was like a, a really big hurdle for me that I think it will probably resonate with most accountants is I don't want to use all the ex exclamation points and I don't want to do all the emojis. But in doing that for the last, you know, 10 years of my career, I've noticed what a difference warmth in an email and writing especially does for a relationship and how much it can put you on the same team with the other person and how much it can soften bad news and how essential it is to really getting to that like desired outcome on both sides of the table or both sides of that communication piece. And so I think so much of being approachable is just imagining what you would want to receive, imagining how you would want to receive bad news is a great way to like imagine giving it is like, okay, so if the bad news is that your company is not doing great this quarter and isn't on target to meet your goals, how would you actually want to hear that information? I think empathy is a huge piece of it. So being able to see things from a different perspective is is a huge piece of that. What are your thoughts on that, Anna? Well, I similarly have worked with tech companies that used GIFs in emails mm -hmm. um, and, and I went it's the other way with it and went, you could do that. Awesome. <laughs> I'm doing that and all the time. Okay. Well, not all the time. Okay. Stand down. So I think in some ways there are going to be people that have more of a natural bend towards warmth and some that that's that takes more work. You know, that's mm -hmm. more of a struggle. What I really liked is that you just got some feedback about it, mm -hmm. about like, hey, th this is the vibe we're trying to put out. And that is very stiff. And we want to be a little bit warmer with the people that we talk to. And I think that for accountants, we tend to assume that if we're not professional, then we won't be perceived as experts. Yes. That like those things go hand in hand. So we must sound very professional. We must sound very formal or clients won't know that we're smart and we can do the work. But that's not actually how most people tend to make the decisions on, on who they want to work with. Mm -hmm. And that also provides so much more opportunity that if you're in accounting and you are warm and you are working towards that, you have an amazing competitive advantage because most of our, you know, accounting professionals out there are doing that very stiff, very, I don't want to recommend anything that's going to make me get sued. I don't want to give any advice unless I'm Self protecting. Like, yeah, it's very, it's very like, I'll only give if I'm not going to potentially lose by giving mm. this, you know, and so if there's any risk to me at all, I will just err on the side of formal, I said it, you can't come back at me because I mm. only said it in this way. And I just am, I just want to be a person because mm -hmm. we work with people and I, I struggle with, I struggled with that in particular when I was starting my own firm because I was trying to do it and it felt so inauthentic to me. Mm, I was trying yes. to do the, you know, blazers and, and very <laughs> professionally dread, like slacks and stuff. 
And it just like it it felt like Chris Farley. Like it just the coat didn't fit. <laughs> Die in a little coat. <laughs> yes. It it fit like that. And so there was one moment in particular, and I was I was just on a panel last week and I shared this story. I don't know that it was loved, but I love it where a potential client was telling me that this isn't something that they do do. And I laughed and I was like, I'm sorry, but you just said doo-doo. And they were like, we are going to get along just fine. And that was the <laughs> moment that I was like, wait, I could just be myself. Yeah. And people that aren't into that work probably not going to vibe anyway. So we could just shortcut and save ourselves a lot of time versus me pretending to be professional and you thinking that I am. And yes. Then, and then me having to live up to that or letting you down. Oh, it's exhausting. But yeah. maybe that's not actually your bend. And maybe you're much more like Jill and the profesh sounds normal and feels like what you're doing. And, and yes. <laughs> and, and I sound like a weirdo. So, you know, I think there's, I think there's both sides. I think that's kind of the key though, is like, there's something really profound about sitting into this with authenticity. And I know that sounds very buzzwordy, but like, I genuinely mean it. Like if you, like I'm more formal and you're less formal and you're an accountant and I'm not like we're bucking all kinds of systems here like this isn't <laughs> about who you are or what you do and those having to align but I think there's there's something really interesting about what can be unlocked when you are sitting in your sweet spot and it feels genuine and authentic to who you are naturally and you're pushing yourself to improve and, and grow and, and sure. diversify how you do that with people who are different from you. But like basically just, just being you is kind of the thing that will unlock all that potential, which is kind of awesome. So like GIFs or not, like you're good, just find your sweet spot and don't try to push it outside of something that's not genuine or authentic to who you are. Yes. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. But I think there's also the other side of this, which is that expert side. So mm -hmm. I think remembering how we became experts is helpful yeah. when we then move into the space where we're going to talk about how to equip your team to do this. Because I think for a lot of us, especially those of us who are, you know, technicians turned entrepreneurs, like it's, it's very easy to forget how we got here and expect that if other people aren't here, then we'll just do it for them because they're not where we are. And mm -hmm. it's not actually that helpful. I'll talk about mm -hmm. that too. But one of the things I think definitely helped me as I was learning accounting was a genuine curiosity and kind of a willingness to ask dumb questions because I was more concerned with whether I was going to like learn something than I was with whether the person I was talking to thought I was dumb. And, and I think I, I was a couple of QuickBooks Connects ago, there was Ashton Kutcher was one of the speakers. And I remember him talking about that, like about him getting into investing and asking dumb questions because he was like, well, if I ask the dumb question, I might learn something. If I just nod along to all the jargon and things, I'm going to not look dumb to them, but I'm still not going to know what they're talking about at the end of this. And so I think 
especially having people that it is safe to ask dumb questions to and they won't think you're dumb. I think that is so critical to being able to develop and advance at a very rapid rate versus if you're kind of surrounded by people who are all like trying to flex how smart and competent they are you're not going to feel super safe to ask dumb questions and you're just going to learn and become an expert a lot slower. So I do think that's something in, in our firm in particular that like, we love questions here. We tell applicants all the way through, we love questions here. Like we want them because we wanted to create this space where people could ask what they even might feel like are dumb questions. And we're not going to talk to them like they're dumb. And then they learn something and then they are not afraid to ask another question. So I, that I just had like a little dot connect in my mind as you were sharing that, because we talk about that a lot, but the reality is that the competitive nature of accounting and most firms are, people would identify them culturally as competitive is actually such a detriment to the learning. Because when you're competing with other people for that status, for that, you know, status of, of being the expert, you miss out on the learning and everyone else misses out on the learning too. It's such a cliche and everyone says it in education, but like, you know, there are dumb questions. I'm There are dumb questions. I'm just going to say, like, I know it's nice to say that there are none, but like, I can think of so many on my Oh, own. I never said there weren't dumb questions. No, no, no. That's dumb not the questions. thing. <laughs> there are. That's Ask not the thing. anyway. There are dumb questions. So like, that's not the thing. But I think... Y- Ask the question, even if it feels dumb, because someone else in the room might also have it, is the cliche thing that people say in education. But it's so true, and I think it's especially true in accounting, because it's such a doing career. You you can learn what you can learn at school, but once you're diving into the actual nitty-gritty of doing accounting, that's where the real learning happens. And if now all of a sudden you're supposed to be an expert before you're actually ready to be an expert, you're going to really struggle. And when that environment is competitive, the things that are valued or the things that are promoted are going to be that flexing. It's going to be speaking out of turn and not actually knowing what you're talking about, but saying it confidently. Like it's going to be that kind of stuff. And that's a huge liability for firms. Whoa, that was a big epiphany. That's a that's such an interesting reality for accounting. That competitiveness is is just so unhelpful. It's it's totally antithetical to the goals we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Well, because competitive is all win-lose. And so you're looking at the people around you who are supposed to be your team members. And it's like, well, if you're winning, then I'm not winning. I'm losing. Mm -hmm. So if if you know something I don't know, or if I know something that you don't know, I've got a competitive advantage over you. So I'm not going to share that. Then you Mm -hmm. might be winning. You might get the promotion and I'm going to be here. And now, you know, there's, there's only what I can do. Like it, it just, it doesn't encourage collaboration. It encourages, Mm -hmm. you know, withholding of information. It encourages almost like a sabotage of other people so that you can look smarter. Like it's just so many 
kind of unhealthy and unhelpful behaviors, like not just for the people that work there, although it definitely is and it destroys culture. But I think for the company Mm -hmm. itself, you do things faster, less expensive, more effectively when people are working collaboratively together. I think we know that, but I think we create competitive environments and then we say, go collaborate. And yeah, then we're like, what does yes. it work? Well, and and I think that's also top down. Like all of this stuff is culture, so it's being created top down. So if the management or executive level team is also infighting, that's going to be what's going to be replicated at every level of an organization. So like you have to be willing to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to this kind of stuff. You have to be willing to ask dumb questions even at the top of a company if you want other people to feel comfortable doing the same thing. That's a harder thing than just doing it as a solopreneur. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the like your team is watching you. They're watching you to see how you behave. And that's the trigger of how they really ought to behave, how things Mm -hmm. really are here. Because you can say, I want you all to collaborate. And then when you're like, hey, I'm going to tell you this. Don't tell anybody else. It's like, okay, I get it. I get how I get how we're doing. Or the thing that I used to be super guilty of unintentionally withholding (laughs) information, not because I'm like trying to sabotage anyone, but just because I didn't have the time to share it or I didn't Mm -hmm. think that I should make the time to share it. Like I didn't plan all the way through what someone else might need to know to effectively do. And so I, it just was like, Oh yeah, yeah. uh, You're supposed to do this. And they're like, how would I know that? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't because I didn't tell you. But yeah, you (laughs) should have been doing that like all year. Uh, So go back and fix it. You know what? You know what? I'll just fix it for you Uh, because I I won't even show you how to do it. I'll just fix it for you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then you are stuck doing that thing in perpetuity. Yes. You're welcome. Now you have another job on top of your other one. Not that helpful. So that's a great segue to how you actually empower your team to be able to position themselves as approachable experts to one another and externally to your clients. Because I have seen so many times where myself included, where you, you set this aim for like, I want, you know, my team to be able to talk to my clients, but you don't actually set them up so that your clients would want to talk to them over Mm -hmm. wanting to talk to you. And I have done this in a myriad of ways of things like, oh, let me introduce you to so-and-so. They're just helping me do your books. What does that communicate? Uh, Assistant at best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here's my ad, my gal Friday. She'll handle the lowest level of tasks. And that's what you can expect from that person. Yeah. Yes. Or here's your person. Or if you need anything, you can really talk to me. You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of like, you know, here's your person. But if anything goes wrong, you can just come to me. I want to know. Come to me. And it's framed as I want to know, like, I want to know because I want to make sure you're really well taken care of. And what that just ends up doing is making that person look incompetent before they have ever met that client. Yes, I want to make sure you're well taken care of and I have to be the one to do that inadvertently implies that person may or may not take good care of you. So I got to check and make sure. And also, you know that, which is not very confidence inspiring. 
And now it's on you to alert the flag to me if something's wrong. And so whatever you perceive is wrong is going to be wrong. And whatever like you see in your world, we're just all going to assume that the client's always right. That's what that says. Like, and now you're responsible for holding my team accountable. Yes. Or (laughs) the worst one. And I've been so guilty of this in the past. A client complains and you swoop in. Oh, I saved that day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is an important client. So, so I gotta, I gotta swoop in here because this is an important client. So like, you're not equipped to do this. That team member immediately becomes the villain immediately because you framed yourself as the hero and the, the client as the victim. Yes. Yes. And no to that. No to that. Which is, yeah. Which is not actually that empowering, turns out. <laughs> turns out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on the flip side of this, I think also equipping your team to be able to answer those questions from the client in a way that builds yes. that trust too. So it's not just up to our clients to be like, oh, cool, they're bringing someone in. Now I have to trust that they know what they're doing. It's up to us to frame it in a way that helps them trust that and builds on that over time. I think one of the ways that we have made this mistake is in having our team set up such that they would then go to the last person or the CEO or the former accountant or the CPA or whatever and say, oh, you know what? I'll just go ask so-and-so. I think that is one of the easiest ways to just immediately break down that trust. And so I think presenting yourself as an approachable expert has so much to do with knowing how to say, I don't know, for knowing how to say, yeah, let me look into that and get back to you. Like being able to send those responses in a way that doesn't highlight that it is or isn't something you know, just puts their mind at ease that it'll get taken care of either way. Because your job isn't to know everything as an account manager, especially. Your job is to is to give clients the impression that things are handled and then to close the loop and confirm when they are. That's your job. Yes. Okay. I literally had a potential client tell me this story. It it tickles me every time. I feel so bad for this person and I just want to go coach her. That the last firm that he worked with, the firm owner's daughter started doing his books and would literally say, I don't know. Let me go ask my dad when he had a question. And I was like, oh, sweetie. Oh, I just, not that one. Like, yeah, so you many could others. say the same thing, but in a way that makes that client think that you have things handled, which is something like, that's a great question. I have some thoughts, but let me look into it a little bit more. And then I'm going to circle back with you and, and give you maybe a couple of options or give you, you know, some deeper thoughts on it. I still just said, I don't know the answer or I don't have an answer for you right this moment, but I don't sound like I need to go ask my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's also i mean there's so I many layers imagine. to that story <laughs> it's a tricky one it's a really tricky one i think the dad bit is the most egregious like maybe just don't highlight the fact that you are family and that you need to go ask your dad just the phrase right i need to go ask right. your dad just infantilizes you instantly <laughs> so yeah like maybe not that one which i think made him think like you know what just like to work with some adults like if, yeah. if i could just work with some adults that'd be totally. great 
Which is such a weird thing to come to a new firm and be like, yeah, this is the problem I'm having. I just, you know, it seems like I had a toddler as an accountant, so I'd love to work with some real grownups here. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange uh, value proposition. But I, I think the, the reality is that there are circumstances where like validating with the CPA could make sense. Like confirming yes. that your understanding is right with someone else could make sense even to share with the client, especially if you're rebuilding trust after a mistake or, you know, there's some sort of nuance in the dynamic where you're building trust or, or really need an extra like oomph or like boost of trust with that client for some reason or another. But even in the way that you do that, it matters how you do it. It matters right. that you don't say, I don't know straight up and that's the end of it. It matters that you're talking about the solution. I'm going to do this to make sure that whatever answer I end up giving you is correct because that's all that that person actually wants. They want a correct answer from you and they want to know that they're going to get it and they want to know that they're going to get it in the time frame that they need it. So you don't have to know everything. You just have to be able and willing to go find the answers. And that's where like a good referral network comes in for a solopreneur, but that's where the approachable expert internally comes in for a firm. Because if people aren't comfortable asking questions, they're going to get that question from that client and panic and they're not going to feel comfortable going to their boss and asking the question and they're going to try to figure it out on their own or whatever. Or say whatever. Just yeah. go, go say whatever. So one of the ways that we've equipped our team as we've really started intentionally moving in this direction of we have uh, specific team members in a role where they're client-facing account managers, may or may not be the person who does all of the bookkeeping, but they're, they're that client-facing person so that there's always one point of contact for them, all of which are not me. That was <laughs> the dream. And I think we're about I think we're about there. I, think, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of clients that that know who I am, but I think day to day responsibility. I think we're. I think we've arrived. So that feels uh, great. Wow. That's been a many year goal of Anne that doesn't sit in that seat. Well, and we've made progress and backtracked both directions. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm sure as, <laughs> as many of you have experienced, you know, you set that it's some two steps forward, one step back, you know, but you know, aiming in that direction where, where we have a team that is equipped and empowered to be able to be the client facing person without me swooping in to save the day, without mm -hmm. me stepping on anybody's toes. It really makes it sound like I'm the problem, which I'll think about in my own time. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the ways we've done that is when a client asks you something that you do not know, here are some phrases you can use similar to the ones that we've expressed. Come back at, you know, ask your team, ask, you know, your lead bookkeeper, you know, ask someone internally for the answer and then go back and present that as your answer, which feels really uncomfortable to start with. And I do think that there is understandable but misplaced humility of wanting to give someone else credit if mm -hmm. you didn't know the answer to it. But the problem is that erodes your perceived competence with the client because if you now have an answer, so you now know that answer, it's your answer. It's the answer the client is looking for for their problem. So just present it as the answer. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you got that from someone on your team, from your boss directly, from Google, or from your accounting classes six years ago, 20 years ago. Like, it really doesn't matter where you got it from. That's 100%. Right. You had to learn all of this at some point. So yes. whether it originated in your head or not, 
it's only in your head because you learned it from somewhere. So it's almost like it doesn't really matter how recently you learned it because everything else that's up there, (laughs) you learned at some point, someone else gave to you. It just wasn't as, as, you know, close to the time the question was asked. So then we assume Mm -hmm. all of that is ours, but anything we recently acquired belongs to someone else. Unhelpful because the client doesn't really care. They care that they have a problem or a question and they want an answer or a solution. And they're coming to you for support in that. Now, we also train and equip them for what is and isn't our lane. So rather than saying like, I don't know, or like, we can't answer that, we say things like, that is a great question for your CPA. Because mm-hmm. that's going to be in in tax recommendations and they're going to have insight into other types of things we don't, you know, but we don't need to give all that context. We can just say, you know what, I think that one's going to be a great question for your CPA. You can feel free to loop us in if there's any changes that they'd like us to make. We're still supporting you in guiding you to where to get the answer. Because again, you have a problem. You want a solution. You're not as concerned whether we literally have the answer as you are with that an answer will happen like that, yes. that you know where to go to get this answer. And so all of that is in support of being that approachable expert and being the person who they can come to, who will guide them to a solution and who won't tell them things when they're not the expert, who won't tell them things they don't know as though they do know, but who will go get the answer if they can and come back and tell them. So I think that's definitely one way that we've we've uh, trained and equipped our team externally to do this. We do the same thing with our team members that we're equipping to kind of coach the team. So if they're a lead of that team, whether they're, you know, kind of more of the team lead in like people capacity or more of a team lead in a technical work capacity, because we have both of those roles, we do the same thing. If you don't know the answer, Come ask ops, you know, and then go back and tell them the answer. Don't just say, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask somebody. It's like, it's not that helpful. Like they, that person is just like your client. They want the answer to the question. They're not really that concerned, but we don't want to inadvertently communicate that you're not the person to go to for the kinds of things that you are the person to go to. So like when people in the past have been like, I don't know, I got to ask Anna. I'm like, don't do that one because then that person's just going to come ask me instead of asking you, which is what we're trying to do here. So I think that part helps on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why being able to present the answer just as the answer, just as, as information is so helpful. It's not making someone else, not, not giving someone else credit for that knowledge or information. It's really about making sure that that person knows that when they have the next question, they can come to you again. If you're doing anything that deters people from coming to you, then you're doing it wrong. If your goal is for them to come to you. So like the approachable expert piece of this requires that you are reinforcing the behavior of coming to you, either with clients or with team members or with whomever, with a partner. I think this is a great example too. Like if a partner comes in and sits you down and says, hey, I want to talk about something serious and you always shut that conversation down, they're going to stop coming to you trying to have a conversation. So like the way that we set those expectations and the way that we respond when someone wants to do something that we all universally agree is hard. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to ask a question. It's hard to have a challenging conversation and initiate that. Like all of these things are challenging at to different degrees, but 
unless we're reinforcing that someone felt safe doing that, they will stop feeling safe doing that. So we have it's up to us as the recipient of that person's openness to reflect that openness back to them. Yes. I think that's the approachable side of it. Like yeah. when someone approaches you, what do you do? Do you encourage them to continue approaching you? Does your behavior, does the words that you say, you know, does your demeanor say, yes, I'm glad you came to talk to me? Or does it say, you idiot, why would you even, mm. why would you bring this to me? Don't you know how busy and important I am? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's right. Like what you think, what you believe, what you say, and what you do should all align. So if you think think and you say that you want your team to come to you with questions, you have to act like it for them to believe it. You have to consistently. And you will get that wrong. You will be like, I can't answer this right now and yell at a team member. You might be like, I can't do this. Or you may have moments where like you actually don't have capacity for their questions, but how you respond still matters. So like when I don't have time for someone's immediate question, my response is to stop first. I will almost always stop, especially if I'm feeling rushed in my workflow. I will stop and just go, okay, when can I do this? I want to give a yes. It's not right now. So when can I say yes to this? And I'm going to tell them that this is a yes for Thursday. This is a yes for two weeks from now. This is a yes for 2027. Like, you know, like these are, these are the kinds of things that keep people wanting to come to you with ideas, with thoughts, with questions, with suggestions. And I think it, it requires slowing down quite a lot. It requires slowing down so that you can actually transfer the knowledge that you've benefited from gaining through making mistakes and through getting it wrong and through getting it right. But you have to slow down to be able to transfer that to someone else. You have to slow down to be able to train someone to do something new. And you have to slow down to let someone learn and fail and learn through their failure. And that is really emotionally challenging. But if you can get yourself to just identify that that is inherently valuable and has been inherently valuable in your own personal growth journey and that it is worth doing for other people and that it will require for you to just stop and think for an extra two seconds, you can actually start getting yourself to go down that path and start being that approachable expert to other people, whether that be externally to clients or internally to a team or both. But why might one not? want to equip their team to be an approachable expert. I mean, you know, we're, we're all saying it like it's a foregone conclusion that of course you would want to do this. And I think genuinely we may believe that we do want to do this, but mm -hmm. I think there are some underlying feels that we might have that actually make us either not do it or start to do it and then self-sabotage. So what makes us not actually want our team to be approachable experts? I think there are so many, but the two that come to mind first are both sides of that education coin. So accounting is a really diverse industry in that there are people with no formal education who do bookkeeping or data entry or pieces of the puzzle that are really important but are definitely like lower knowledge skill set levels than what a CPA would do who would be, you know, strategizing about tax or who may be, you know, running audits for entire organizations. So the level of complexity is going to vary based on education. That's a pretty one-for-one -one connection point. But I think people on that 
end of the spectrum who don't have as much formal education as maybe now is required. So maybe you got in the industry 30 years ago, and now it's kind of necessity that you have a master's degree and you really only had a bachelor's when you entered the industry. There's some ego there and you're going to want to present as the most approachable person. If you have any kind of insecurity about your education level, you're going to want to front <laughs> that ego. And on the flip side of that, if you have that higher education, you're going to want to make sure that you present as the smartest person in the room. And so it's ego on both sides. It's either overcompensating for the insecurity or making sure that the thing that says on paper that you're the expert is showing in the way that you're showing up to meetings or to, you know, client interactions or to team interactions. I think there's so much ego in it, but I think education level has a lot to do with where on that ego spectrum you lie. Well, and I think the education piece, I, I think you're exactly right on the, on the side of like, if you have less of it, it's very easy to feel insecure about that. And so wanting to front more competence to kind of make up for a perceived deficit there. Mm -hmm. But I think also on the side where you do have the letters after your name, there's almost a certain amount of like, you need to prove that all that work to do it was worth it. Yeah. Like you, you want to gatekeep the like real experts as being the people who've done all of that. Because if you think you're an expert and you didn't do all the work that I did, and you what actually do are an expert, then maybe I just wasted my time doing all that. And I can't, I can't think that. So it no. must be that I really am an expert and you're not. And so I don't want to share anything with you because you didn't do the work to get it. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of ego <laughs> on all sides of that, you know, but I think it's all, I, I think, like you said, it's, it's ego around being the smartest person in the room and, and yeah. around, you know, especially for those of us who kind of went out and did our own thing and have our own firm, there's like kind of an ego of like, well, I thought I could do it better. That's why I went and did my own thing. Because if, mm -hmm. if you thought it would be better working for someone else, you would be working for someone else. So there is some like required ego to go do your own thing because you have to, it's so much extra work that <laughs> there has to be some reason to have taken all of that on. So then there is a certain amount of like, look, when you've got your own firm, then you can call the shots. But while mm. we're in my firm, I'm, I'm the sheriff in town. And it's like, yeah then you're always going to be the sheriff in town. It's very limiting and very exhausting. I actually think that sheriff in town analogy is one of the best ways I've gotten in conversation with people who are essential in their business, where I've gotten them to see the value of not being essential, of equipping someone else. It's, do you want to be that essential? Because you are setting yourself up for many jobs when you insist on being the hero. If you're the hero who saves the day, that means anytime there's a day to save, you're the one that's getting called. You're it. We're putting the bat signal up. Yeah. <laughs> And it's you. on you to fix it. So like if if you love that kind of work, absolutely do that. If you are looking to do less of that emergency firefighting, then making yourself and keeping yourself essential in that kind of stuff is going to really not align with your goals. And it's going to make you want to flip the table at some point. Yes, I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And I think that we tend to know that 
But the feeling of empowering someone else and then seeing other people go to them instead of you, mm-hmm. at, we can kind of have that like, yeah, this is what I meant to do. And then you see it starting to work and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel good. And then you behave in ways that actually sabotage it. Yeah. And I'm very guilty of this. I don't think it's necessarily on purpose for for no. that particular emotional reason, although I'm very emotional. But I think it's more like I, I do love to actually. I, it's I really mm. ha- because I because I might actually have more context. I might actually be able to provide more value to the conversation. But sometimes that isn't actually helpful in the long game. It it might help solve this one problem this one time, but is that setting up the firm that you want to have? Is that equipping that person to do that? You know, if you're in a group of people and you've said, go to this person and people are going to them and then they say something that's wrong, what are you going to do? Are you going to correct them in front of everyone? Or are you going to pull them aside later and go, hey, you know, just a little more context for you? Like th- th- I might do it this way or this way and kind of here's why. And also I'm open to your thoughts. Maybe you shared that idea, you know, because you know something I don't know, because maybe you're going to get to a point in your firm where other people know things you don't know, which is also uncomfortable, you know? And so how you start to approach that, whether it's with intention or whether it's just doing what comes naturally, doing what comes easily without thinking, all of that is that slowing down that you were talking about of going, what yeah. am I actually trying to accomplish? Because if it's equipping approachable experts, I can't actually all over them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to equip them. Even if I do know more. I mean, that's the hardest part is like, even if yes. I do have more context, more information, a better answer, a better solution. I think it is, I think one of the things that you've done really well in equipping other people is not just pausing or slowing down and asking like, what what are we actually trying to accomplish here? But also setting up systems that give people opportunities to get the information they need from that person. Because if you're just now expecting other people to figure their solutions out and come to you with questions and all that, like, okay, when? And like, what happens if your head's down working on something and you're in a flow and now someone's asking you a question? How can you set your future self up to be able to provide support to your team in a way and at a time that functions for everybody? Like that kind of like thinking a little bit more outside the box of like, okay, so if you ask me a question anytime, what does that look like in May Day? Okay, what do I actually want that to look like? And how can I reverse engineer our systems and processes to make that possible? One of the ways we've done that is having open office hours. You don't have to attend if you're in your interim period, you do. But if you're just a team member and you don't have any questions, like you don't have to come to that meeting. If you have questions, you should come to that meeting because someone can help you there. And it's an hour that those people, those approachable experts internally know exactly when they're going to have to be ready to answer questions and they may not know the answer in real time, but it's the, it's that same thing of that's a great question. Let me dive into that. I'll block 15 minutes tomorrow to look into that and I'll get you an answer before the end of the day on Friday. And that kind of like guidance and that kind of like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out with you is such a great way to equip other people to solve problems with and for you. Yes. One of the other things we did, and I love it because it's not my idea. <laughs> One of our uh, team members said, you know, would ask questions. And and I love this like nuanced question, like what's the accrued way of doing this? Because mm-hmm. it means there's the, you know, I'm not asking correct incorrect. I'm asking how we do it here because that might be different than somewhere else. And this isn't mm-hmm. the right way. It's just the accrued way. 
and then created a frequently asked questions page, which we continue to build out more and more. And I love seeing team members giving one another feedback and pointing to that FAQ page. Just a reminder, this is how we do it here. And here's the resource for you so that if you're not sure how we do something, there's a resource of frequently asked questions. It's like those kinds of things that like, how can I equip you to solve your own problems? And as you start doing those kinds of things, you build the confidence in your expertise because yes. it's not like I'm asking a question and being handed the answer. It's like I'm asking a question and I'm being equipped on how I could find the answer, on how I could know different things, on like what I could learn and how I might apply that globally. And so I think it really matters the way that we equip people, that we're not just going, you know, here's the fish, but we're going, hey, come here, here's how you fish. And I have to remind myself of that constantly because I'm very much like, I know how to fish. Here's a fish. <laughs> Do you like What's the fish? fish I got? <laughs> but it's not that helpful. It's that slowing down. It's like, yeah, that's expedient, but it's not effective. So what mm -hmm. can we do that's going to, you know, it's going to take more time initially always, but it's going to pay out dividends in the future because it's the kind of important, not urgent work that makes less urgent work be your work. So in that aim of, you know, getting out of your own way of building a healthy, sustainable firm of actually, you know, empowering and equipping your team, empowering and equipping them to be approachable experts to kind of take that on as their identity and then wrestle with it and figure it out. And, you know, some people kind of struggle with the word expert because they don't feel like an expert because they're humble, you know, and some of them actually pretty much everyone who works here is approachable like that. Yeah. That's, that's kind of our yeah. vibe. So yeah, that, that one, it doesn't really work if you're not. <laughs> Yeah, but but different people, I mean, very similar to you, have more of a natural bend towards professional. And and so, uh, you know, we'll give feedback like this needs more ish. It's professional ish. <laughs> we need, they got all the and profession. And people have more ish. And we're like, yeah. hey, rein that ish in. <laughs> yeah, rein that ish in. <laughs> But I do think that so much of this, you know, and especially cl the client facing piece of it, it comes down to being effective at communicating. I think one of the number one, probably the number one reason that potential clients will come talk to us about about switching, you know, their bookkeeper or finding a new one is is down to communication. It's, I don't hear from them. I don't understand them. I don't know what's happening. Like things are behind and they're not talking to me about it. You know, I'll ask them questions and I don't get anything back. Like so much of it comes down to how we talk to them and things that have nothing to do with the technical work. Like the technical work is almost always a, like someone else told me it's bad. Like, yes, you know, yeah. my tax person said it's bad. You know, my business coach said it's bad. Like, it, you know, or, you know, I know just enough to know that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. But mostly it is like, it is that relational side. It is the like, you know, they're never going to say they make me feel dumb. They'll say something like, I don't understand them. But usually that, that ties in directly with like, and they make me feel dumb. And so I think all of the kinds of things like effectively owning your mistakes and saying, I don't know, without sounding incompetent and all of those communication things that we really 
take a ridiculous amount of time and effort to try to equip our team is all in service of you could do this stuff without needing me, without needing Jill, without mm -hmm. needing someone else, because we're equipping you to be in this space of approachable expert. And so it's not fast. <laughs> it's not, mm -hmm. it's it, but it, you know, much like a lot of things we talk about, it's like, but start though. Like, yeah. Yes. It's just the starting because it really does tend to be an upward spiral that just grows the more reps you get in. So if you have a clear goal of making yourself approachable to someone and you can just take a little bit of extra time to think about what that would actually look like to do, then you can just, you will start and then it will just get easier and easier and easier the more you do it. I mean, I can say that from practice. This is all stuff that I've had to learn too, because it's really hard to find a balance between being knowledgeable and an expert in what you know, and also being humble, which is really important to me. And it's, I think it's one of those things that people wrestle with a lot is just how do I remain the person I want to be? How do I keep being a humble leader, a humble person? and still present as an expert without making anyone else look bad, but also not making myself look bad. And it's, it's, it's a challenge, but I think it's an essential challenge if we're going to get the kind of client dynamics that we're looking for in this industry. Yes. Well, and I think it's helpful to note, we put approachable before expert because yes. people work with people that they like, they trust, and then they feel are competent. It is in that order. And most accounting professionals focus on the second one. So we put approachable first because we are humans and we work with humans. Literally all of our clients are human beings <laughs> without exception. Maybe in the future that will change. But like, you know, we tend to think of companies as being like a thing but mm -hmm. it's really just a bunch of people mm. that we work with. And I. it's rare that someone just goes, man, I just can't even with that company, you know, or they'll say it. But what they really mean is the specific person I was interacting with at that company. Mm -hmm. It is so important, especially if we want to grow a firm, is if we want to grow ourselves as humans, you know, both of those things, ideally, that we do focus in on this piece of like, it matters how we present. It matters that we're approachable. It matters that people want to work with us, not just are willing to until they find something better, you know, that mm -hmm. we've actually set ourselves up and ideally we're equipping our team so that clients enjoy working with us. They want to work with us and that our team wants to work with one another, that we're not creating this competitive win-lose environment and then saying, go collaborate. Why aren't you collaborating better? You know, but work that together. Really, yeah, <laughs> work together. But also everyone's in it for themselves. We're going to compensate you that way. We're mm -hmm. going to reward you that way. Mm -hmm. You know, but, we're going to highlight you that way. But collaborate. You guys are all on the same team, right? Now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just think that, you know, that approachable side 
is the piece that we focus in on because I think the vast, I don't think anyone's wondering whether you should be an expert in this industry. I don't think anyone's like, I don't know, should you be competent? I mean, I guess if you want to be, you know, (laughs) but, but we tend to think of the approachable bit as optional as like the human side is like, if you happen to have time. And the, and the expert side is a non-negotiable. And I just want to flip the script on that and say, hey, that human side, that should be a non-negotiable. And the expert side should kind of be a given. Like, that we shouldn't even be bragging about that. Like, that should just be, that's the bar. Let's aim at approachable. So a couple of takeaways from today, that, that approachable side that is the warmth and the relational side. That's the trust building that like, I actually want to present as a person you might want to talk to, therefore a person you might want to work with. And then that expert side builds trust. So the way that we say things like, I don't know, or I need help, or I made a mistake, all of those really matter to equip ourselves and our team to sound and feel competent while also focusing on being approachable. And I think for us as leaders, it matters so much that we we work on this in ourselves first, that we really work on how can I be an approachable expert to my team and to my clients so that I am modeling that behavior that I'm going to then equip and empower my team to do and then equip and empower your team to do it so that you become less and less essential. We wanna move away from being that hero that swoops in to save the day and more towards that guide who's equipping a team of heroes that could swoop in to save their own day. They don't need (laughs) us to come save them. That's the ultimate. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good.